Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Well, it looks like things are going in a different direction as far as our summertime VW, Southern California VW shows. Uh, we're here in Vegas, but we normally go down to Southern California for the VW events, and it appears that El Prado has been canceled. Southern California is on full lockdown until the end of June, which is pretty lame, but listen, that's their governor and their decision, so what can you do about it? All I know is I can try to bring you guys some good content to listen to, and that's what we got going for you today. On today's podcast, I've got Steve Phillips from Wolfgang International. Not only is he from Wolfgang International, he's one of the original guys that started up when there was a company called Bus Boys. Steve developed the first bus lowering kit and was one of the first guys to flip spindles and get your bus lower to the ground. One of the pioneers in the industry has developed a lot of stuff. He's got records for drag racing as well as credit for developing some of the coolest buses out there because of Lauren kits that he provided way back in the day, one of the first pioneers in the scene. They're out of Redding, California. He owns a company called Wolfgang International. They've been on the scene for a long time. You maybe own some of their safaris, one of their Wolfgang bus lowering kits, but they've been around for a while. And Steve was kind enough to come on the podcast and we got to hear his VW story and what a story it is. A shout out to a couple of people that gave us five stars. Uh, Great VW says, Relief. Looks forward to every new podcast and each uh, each Friday. Great behind the scenes and historical content. Also, never heard the term bull run more in my life. <laughs> That's right. That's right, everybody. Bull run bus. Anyway, appreciate the five-star review from Great VW. If you guys like the podcast, make sure you go on your Apple iTunes and or Apple podcast and give us five stars. Uh, It helps more people find the podcast, and we're trying to hit that magic number of 500 reviews. So go on there, tell your friends, tell your mama, tell everybody you know, get on there, give us a review, man. If you guys want to support us, go to letstalkdubs.com forward slash store, and you can buy some merch to support the podcast. We've got uh, some new shirts in stock now, so a couple of those people have been waiting. Those shirts are going out tomorrow. The rest of you guys, there are shirts ready to go. So you guys want to support the podcast, buy some shirts. Since you don't get to see me at the VW shows this summer, uh, but trust me, the first one that's open, I'll be out too, and we'll get you guys some cool swag. You guys get to support the podcast, and we get to chat about the great stories we hear on this podcast. So without any further ado, guys, let's get into it. Let's listen to Steve Phillips with Wolfgang International on this episode of Let's Talk Dubs. If you have a bus or have owned a bus or have anything to do with buses, you absolutely know who our next guest is. Our next guest is Steve Phillips from Wolfgang International. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, Steve, on our show, typically what we start off with is a lot of us got in this industry as a hobby and we boil it down to what your original VW story is. Uh, Steve, what is your VW story and how did you get into Volkswagens? Gonna be a long one. That's good. Um, so basically, uh, I was born in '62. My dad bought a brand new '62 Bug, um, and we lived in Monterey at the time. Um, and he paid $1,200 out the door for it. Um, and the only option he got was a mirror on the right side. Wow. He got he got accepted to dental school in Philadelphia. 
So we drove this thing twice a year from Monterey, California, Philadelphia. Um, after that, he was in the Air Force. Um, we moved to Hawaii, from Hawaii to Riverside, and then from Riverside over a small community on the coast. When I was about 10 years old, um, my dad can do mechanics. He just doesn't like to. Um, so he kind of taught me how to work on it. So I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world, adjusting valves and changing fan belts and clutch cables and stuff like that. And you're 10 at this time? I was 10 at the time. And then at 12 years old, um, I was bugging him to show me how to drive it. So um, he finally did. And the way he showed me how to drive was he got in the driver's seat. I got in the passenger seat. He said, this is first, second, third, fourth. Here's how you get into reverse. Uh, you push this pedal down on the right as, as you let out this pedal on the left. And uh, the middle pedals brakes. Have fun. Don't wreck it. And he got out and went back in the house. Really? Really. So the first time I took, so the first time I took off, keep in mind, 1962 bug, all original, 40 horses of ground pound and power. Right. Um, I definitely stalled it. And then uh, he yelled out the window, give it some gas. So I did. And I didn't know a 40 horse could do a burnout, but it did. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So then, um, you know, I kind of would drive it around with him in it and basically learn how to drive. Now, for all of those of you who are listening, if you can drive a Volkswagen Bug stick, you can drive just about anything because <laughs> oh, you learn sure. to heel tow it. Then when I was 14, he gave it to me. Um, now, keep in mind, I didn't have a driver's license, but right. where we lived was very coastal, um, and there was a lot of logging roads. So he basically told me, you can drive this thing wherever you want as long as I don't ever catch you on the pavement. Well, first thing I did was turn it into a Baja, (laughs) which, you know, hindsight was not a good idea. Unless it's your bug, right? It's the the 70s and you're going for it. Yeah, so I turned it into a Baja and, I man, I drove the living wheels off of that thing. And uh, the other thing was I got no allowance. Um, and if I broke it, I had to fix it. So that inspired me to get a J-O-B because um, I had to pay for fuel and everything else. But back then, you could fill a bug for $5 in gas, and the gas was actually red and good. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's how I kind of got into them, and that's all I really knew. Um, and then I moved to Reading to go to college, um, and I – went to work for a local bug shop here in town called Northern Baja and Buggy Parts. So it was just your mom-and-pop kind of store. And, you know, I learned a lot from the owner there and then started just experimenting. Um, you know, started building bigger engines, you know, doing so this, doing that. You're, you're in college this time and now working for uh, a Volkswagen dealer? Or Volkswagen, correct? Not shop. a dealer, a mom and pop, a mom and pop, you know, pop shop. shop. Sure. Yeah, and there, and he taught me a lot. Yeah, you're learning a lot more in depth, in and out to the Volkswagen mechanical class. Correct. And I was broke. Okay, you know, I didn't have much money. Sure. Um, and when you explode something, you blow something up. There's two ways to look at it. One way is to look at it and go, 
this is burned up. I better go get a new one. Right. Or the other way to look at it is, man, this is burned up. I can't afford to do this again. Yeah. How can I prevent this? Sure. So that that's probably the basis of all I've ever done mm-hmm. was looking at you know individual parts and going, okay, this does this. How can I make it better and not fail? So from there, um, I went to uh, Chico State for a while, mm-hmm. and then and the whole time I was going to school. I was working on people's cars kind of out of my house. And I was very fortunate in the fact that um, I would tell people, hey, this is what I think. I've never done this before. Um, You know, if you pay for it, I'll do the labor part for free. Right. And we'll see how it goes. And I had a lot of people do that with me. And I got to experiment a lot. And I learned what worked and what didn't work. And Reading is worst-case scenario on these air-cooled engines um, because it's, you know, 110, 115 in the summertime and no humidity. Really? So you're, you're a yeah. lot like Vegas then, a lot like dry climate Cur- up there. Yeah, absolutely right. And these poor motors just don't like it. So, you know, throughout my years, I learned what it took to make one live and not live and what you could get away with and what you couldn't get away with. Um, and then, um, I ended up, this is not so great a story. I ended up dropping out of college, uh, Chico state, Mm -hmm. um, because a gentleman had come up to me and I won't mention his name, um, and said, Hey, how'd you lower your bus? And keep in mind, my bus was strictly to haul my tools back and forth to the drag strip, you know, for my street car, so to speak, the drag car. So you're, so at this time... You're working. You're going to college. You're drag yep. racing your Volkswagen. Yep, and I'm hauling my tools and the car to the drag strip with my bus. And you've got a bus, so yep. you're you're a college student that's paying the bills through working on Volkswagens, drag racing Volkswagens, and you've got more than one. So, oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was a bit, I'm busy. <laughs> and and what year is this about? Uh, early 80s. So in the early 80s, you're driving in a lowered bus, which is like really Well, rare. here's how that came about. I bought this bus, uh-huh. and I drove it around, and I couldn't stand it. Um, I mean, I liked how you sat in it, mm-hmm. and I liked how it looked. I just couldn't stand the reduction boxes. You couldn't go down the freeway very fast, and I was commuting from Reading to Chico. Yeah. Um, I, could not, I could not stand the way it handled. So... Um, again, early eighties, I figured out, you know, the rear swing kit, right? Get rid of the reduction boxes. Well, this is cool. And Hey, it drops at three and a half inches. Yeah. So, so then I made the adjustable beam back then and that lowered it. You know, it, it rode rough, but I was young and didn't care. Um, and it handled so much better. And now I could go back and forth this to college in my bus, um, you don't get a lot of shit in the bus. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. And so, and realistically, I mean, in the early '80s, a lowered bus was really unheard of. I mean, it was unheard of. You know, the, the one like with a rear swing kit, so to speak, in it. I mean, guys were doing it with reduction boxes. Right, but even still, guys weren't really lowering 
Um, Correct. They weren't lowering type twos. Type type twos were almost like to the VW world in the eighties. It was like, oh, buses are lame. Those are for hippies and old guys and whatever. Correct. They weren't really accepted in like the cow look or the. I, I won't nope. want to say cow look, but like the 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 modified the, street VW. The cool scene. factor. Sure. Right. Sure. So yeah, you, yeah you're homeless. So so <laughs> I, I would almost bus. have to say that there's there's high probability. You're one of the first guy. Well, we know for sure you're the first guy that put together the the first bus lowering kit, like the first commercially available bus lowering right. kit. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. So I started driving back and forth. This gentleman comes to me, says, "Hey, I want to form this company called Bus Boys. How do you lower your bus?" I told him, "Get lost. You know, figure it out yourself." And he talked me into dropping out of school, which, in hindsight. I haven't quite figured out if that was a good move or a bad move. <laughs> um, so anyway, we formed that company. And what year is it, this? Oh, God. 84, I want to say. 84, 85. Okay. And then I had a major falling out with the money man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, just the way he treated the employees and, and keep in mind, I was managing the place and I found out that he had stole my patent on the front end. So you actually, so let's back this up a second. So you actually patented the bus lowering. Correct. The front end, the albatross adjuster. Really? Yes. That's interesting. And I was, I was flipping pissed when I found out. Oh, absolutely. And uh, he basically told me I wasn't going to do anything with it anyway. Wow. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't thrilled to death of this person. Sure. So I quit. And I was going to go, believe it or not, I had had it with Volkswagens. I was out, um, you know, with the people. Uh, and I actually went into, I started getting into a mining operation where we used uh, Volkswagen engines um, and for gold mining, gold dredging down really? in South America. Really? Yep. And I water cooled the Volks, you know, two Volkswagen engines. The air cooled ones. You you modded them to be. I took I took I I took air cooled engines and made water cooled heads. Really? Because it was a water dredge, right? Sure. So I could actually cool the heads with water and heat the water for the divers. Yeah, almost like a like a like a boat motor. Correct. A win win. Yeah. So I did that, and at the last minute. I bailed out. When we got fitted for bulletproof vests, I was like, yeah, nobody loves my ass more than I do. I'm out. That's a, and then, that's a sketchy and then work a requirement, month, right? You come show up to work like, hey, you're going to have to start wearing these bulletproof vests. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I'm done. Um, and in the interim, there was a, another gentleman that is here now mm-hmm. named Joe um, that was the main guy at Busboys for the manufacturing side of it. And basically, he came out to my house and said, hey, um, you know, look, I was happier working for you for $5 an hour than working for this asshole for $15 an hour. Yeah. And basically, we sat down and said, okay, uh, I guess I'm getting back into Volkswagen. And uh, we spent a year of he moved onto my property. um, And we spent a year gearing up to basically form Wolfgang. 
And what year is and this? 1993. So 1993. Now, how long are you at? How long are you a part of Bus Boys? Uh, till 1992. So you're there quite so, a while. You're, the, I mean, you're there I, eight years. Yes. Wow. And so you come Am in I, there. I mean, you're basically the fount. Was there a Bus Boys before that? Before you were there? No. No. So Bus Boys was launched by like, hey, here's this guy who's got this cool bus lowering kit. And let's bring him on board and make him a quote unquote partner is probably the way it was sold to you. I would think yep. I, I've been in similar situations myself <laughs> and yeah, my ass is still sore. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> um, I'm gonna bring this guy in. We're going to be quote unquote partners. We'll start this company. So essentially bus boys, the business was built and created based off of your design for the bus. I mean, that's probably the most expensive thing is the bus lowering kit, right? That they sold. Yeah. And then, and we did all kinds of things because not only did I did the, the swing kit, invented the IRS kit, you know, ended up with the first ones to make Safari windows, you know, aftermarket Safaris. I mean, I can go on and on. No, no. And, and I want to, and, and this is the purpose of this podcast because I want to get the history from you, from the guy that was there doing it. And so we, let's, let, if we can back up a little bit and talk a little bit about Busboys. So you come into Busboys and you're like, hey, this seems like a win-win. I love designing and engineering stuff. Mm-hmm. And here's where I can make a few bucks doing it. And this guy's the money yep. guy. So let's do this. So you start off with the bus lowering kit, which you mm-hmm. already have all that stuff figured out and designed on your own already. Yep. And at this time um, – that you get the bus lowering kit done, you move on to the IRS. So you figure, how can I switch this thing to an IRS? And then you do you design and make all the bracketry to do the IRS conversions? Correct. And so you come up with the bus IRS kit. No one's doing it. And probably yep. some people in the VW scene are thinking like, what's this guy doing messing with all this bus stuff? Because even still, right, right. in the 80s while you're doing this, it, you know, buses are still a fractional percentage of the VW market. You know, yes, but it, but the crazy thing about the bus group, the bus group is like a cult following, you know, like they're, yes. they're very, very committed to the, to the model. Um, and so talk to me about developing the safaris and how you go into that. What's on the market now? Are Izzy's around at this time or did Izzy's Izzy's come out kind after? of off and on still? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, there was, so that's a long story. Anyway, <laughs> we got time. We've got <laughs> okay. all the time. So we need. At, at the at the particular time, so uh-huh. th- this kind of goes back into how Wolfgang was done. At the particular time, at the towards the end of my days there at that place, um, I was done with the the guy who you know basically stole my patent. So I went to a couple of my friends and said, "Hey, I can tell you how to build Safari windows." Um, and I will explain, I'll tell you where to get the material, I'll tell you how to bend them, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And you go do the legwork, and when we're done, you can sell them to busboys, and, you know, I'll, you know, I get a percentage. Sure. So, I explained it all. They got them done. They said, thanks, bye. <laughs> and, and we're not selling them to you. Come on. So, yeah, exactly. Wow. So then busboys themselves made their own, right? And then there was competing, you know, they were called California Safari Windows. So as soon as busboys 
you know, got theirs out, they basically stole the market, right? Sure, because they've and already got brand so, recognition and already got marketing out there and all this stuff. Correct. So as soon as Joe quit that place um, and we decided that we were going to start this own thing, I we went to this, you know, my supposed friend who is now defunct and has all this equipment and material because he can't sell any. <laughs> the guy that got put out of business after he stole stole your idea. Right? I mean, that was stupid. Karma's a mother, right? Right. Uh, yeah, karma's a bitch. So I went to him and said, hey, how would you like to sell me that spot welder and all your material? He said, I'd love that. So... I bought it, and again, that's you know one of the main things Wolfgang started right off the bat with. Yeah, I remember. Well, and so Wolfgang yeah. fires up, coming to the market to brand yourself. You guys come out to the market with a safari. Is that the first thing you guys come out with? Pretty much, along with the other stuff that I had already, you know, the lowering invented. kits so and all that. Yeah, stuff. the lowering kits, and then Joe and I also, you know, here I am. I'm by now. I'm driving a '65 double cab. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't stand the ride anymore. I'm getting older, you know. Um, I'm just like, man, I just I just can't do this anymore. You need to figure out how to make lowered spindles. So we, you know, tore some spindles apart and kind of figured it out and went, okay, and did some welding and some grinding and, you know, like, okay, I don't want to ruin the integrity of the spindle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we basically built a set of lowered spindles and put them on. And I'm like, Yahtzee, this is the way to go. Right. Okay. And, and we're now, still building it the same way. Now, in, in the other part of the automotive world, like S10s, the mini truck scene, which is parallel with the VW scene, they're already mm-hmm. doing lowered spindles. They're doing that stuff. But yes. I think the difference is because they're relatively contemporary vehicles and you've got companies like Belltech, they're just casting brand new ones versus... That is correct. And so were the some of the bug people were doing the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to get into that because the cost would be too high and I can't control the casting. That's out of my... That's out of my hands. Sure. And I know the German metal is way better than probably anything that could get cast here. Yeah. And so... so you not now, so to back it up a second, talk about the the spindles because I've had friends back in the day. We talked about doing spindles, and their big fear was, you know, the metallurgy when you cut, yep. weld, the heat cycles, all that stuff on and they, something. And, and they are absolutely right on something that's going to hold all the weight of your vehicle, especially a bus, right? Yeah. Okay, so we didn't cut and weld them. We ended up basically flipping. You know, that's that's why you hear flip spindles today. Sure. We ended up basically machining some surfaces to make... We flipped the kingpins is what we did. Right, the first flip spindles. That's a very simple way of putting it. Yeah. And just reposition. There's a lot lot more to it than just that. Oh, absolutely. So that's... this, And you maintain the integrity of the spindle... Um, because you're not really you're not cutting it off and heating it and doing all of that. Right, and so with with link pin spindles, not a big deal to get you 
you know, what is it? A, is it like a four inch drop with a flip spindle or is it a six Three and inch? a half. I, I figured out that if I flip the kingpins and, and again, it's not that simple, but mm-hmm. basically you flip the kingpins. Hey, it's three and a half. Guess what the rear swing kit was? Three and a half. <laughs> Bingo. You know, the distance between the upper axle and the lower axle on a reduction box. What's that? Three and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it, it makes and, and and so relocating the spindle. So the only thing you had to do when when you made those flip spindles because one of my first buses that I had, you know, I think a matter of fact, I think the Bullrun bus still has uh, flip spindles mm-hmm. on it. Possibly, I mean, just from that, yes. that bus has been done since two thousand, you know, since two thousand. So that's probably what was out at the time. Yep. You know, the, I don't think they were doing uh, welded welded drop spindles for for buses, but. Um, I, and I think why would they? I already made the other ones, right? And we were the first ones on the market with them, right? And so then that takes over. I mean, that's a big thing when you come out with that flip spindle because yep. now buses are starting to get a little bit momentum. People are saying like, okay, I can lower bus and make it cool, right? And I can go down the freeway at more than fifty-five miles an hour, right? And so you then flip the spindle. So now you've got safari kits. You're start, you start, I mean, I think when you guys came out, you guys were pretty, you guys came on the scene pretty strong, you know, and you yes. were, you were no, you were at all the swap meets, you were at all the shows. I mean, yep. I remember, I remember seeing you guys really putting an effort into it because now this is your livelihood and you're trying to kind of re- right. reclaim what was taken from you and, and secure your place in the bus, right. in the bus scene. Um, how do you come up with the name Wolfgang International? Ah, uh, good question. Um, so we, you know, Joe and I were formerly of Bus Boys, right? Which is kind of kind of has a group connotation to it, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Boys. I didn't want to do Wolfsburg because you know there's already Wolfsburg West, and that's to me that was just you know too close to you know. It's, it just didn't work for me. Right. And I wanted to have that kind of, um, you know, group, you know, one of the boys kind of thing. Sure. So, you know, somebody said to me, well, what about Wolfgang? And I said, well, fuck, you know, that's a super popular German name. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> okay. And then from there, um, once we had the name, you know, Wolfsburg, Wolfgang, right? So I got, you know, um, we had to come up with an emblem, right? A logo. So I had all my friends, you know, coming up with logos and man, there was some pretty exotic stuff, right? Lots of colors. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, man, this stuff is just too busy. I I, I like simple, right? Volkswagen yeah. is simple. I want simple. So one of my buddies was an art major at uh, Chico State. And I said, hey, Chris, you know, I'm trying to come up with a good logo for this. He goes, I'll get back to you. So he comes up with what we have now. And um, I said, well, how did you figure that out? I love it. He goes, I got your logo from a trade, a German trade magazine back in the early 20s. I said, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, keep in mind, a lot of people were illiterate in those days. So they would have, uh, you know, a bakery would have a loaf of bread out in front of the building, right? Right. Or, you know, whatever you did, you know, flower shop might have flowers. He goes, well, that was a wolf blacksmith shop. He goes, it had an anvil in one hand and a pair of tongs in the other hand. <laughs> and I said, well, man, this is cool. Put a wrench in one hand and put a pair of calipers in the other hand. Yeah. 
and that's and that's how we came up with it. And that's how the Wolfgang emblem is born, huh? Yep, you got it. I love it. It's simple. Nice. And now you've always been. Um, so I want to I want to kind of stay in order here, but you I you've always been uh, performance minded. Although yes. you're a bus guy, you were always I mean you were always dabbling in drag racing. Oh yeah. Throughout this time and. And by drag racing, obviously, drag racing is the process for people that don't know is to spend money, break parts, and go back and do it again. <laughs> try to figure. Yes, out. it's a very good way to lose a lot of money. <laughs> right, it's trying to figure out how not to break parts. So during this yes. time that you're going through this, are you still consistently drag racing and have a drag car out there? Off and on, yes. I had a bug. Okay. Okay. So I was I was racing in the you know, my street car ran 14 flat back in the early 80s. I went to a drag car that ran 11s, and that's as fast as I ever went in a bug. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, that's before turbochargers. That's before, you know, race, torsion housing, all 62s, of that. Before 62s. It's before all the it's, – yeah. it's as raw, old, like, garage speed as you can get, right? You got it. Now, keep in mind, not only was I racing, I had this bus, right? That mm-hmm. was my only wheels, my only transportation. So not only was I learning the performance side, I was learning the reliability side. Sure. Right? And then my dad came to me. uh, This is, again, in the 80s, probably mid-80s. And he wanted a bus. So I bought him a 71 bus. And he, again, lives on the coast where you're either up or down, left or right. There is no such thing as straight and level. Right. And he is... He number one, he doesn't want to work on it, and number two, he wants some power so he can go up and down the hills and haul way more stuff than you should. So I started experimenting with combinations of what would work and what would last. Now my dad is capable of breaking an anvil with a rubber mallet. Okay, <laughs> right. So I finally came up with that 2007 CC combination that. You know, that's kind of our signature engine around here. The 2007? Compre- yep, 2007 CC, 78 by 90.5. Mm-hmm. And we run on regular gas. We make 100 horses at the flywheel, 107 pounds of torque. Super reliable. <coughs> now, this and is I, we, from years of experimenting, going through different combinations. and, and Yes. Correct. What makes this combination work? Is the seventy-eight rod angle for side? It would take me. It would take me probably a week to explain it all. Mm-hmm. But tricks of the trade. Seventy-eight stroke in my mind is mm-hmm. the biggest stroke you should run. Again, this is my opinion. Mm-hmm. With a stock length rod, by using the seventy-eight with a stock length rod, and I use a B piston. For those of you who don't know, that's made for an eighty-two stroke. Mm-hmm. Okay, so by using a B piston on a 78 stroke, hey, I end up with a whole bunch of deck height off the bat, right? Okay, like Low 70, compression. 80 thousandths. Mm-hmm. So the motor stays the same width, and guess what? My compression's down. Sure. So I run around 7.7 8 to 1 compression. And you're at 100 horsepower at 8 to 1 compression? Yep. That's pretty, Not bad. pretty impressive, yeah. Right, and then, and then I learned about flywheels with buses, and you know, the whole, it's the combination that makes it work. Right, and so on on your motors, you run a full a full weight flywheel. Full weight, especially on a bus. Yeah, 
I mean, a lot of people think, you know, the, the, the light and flywheel gives you that fast RPM and kind of motorcycle feel, but yep. the inertia of that flywheel is what is like getting kicked in the ribs when you hit a hill. You know, if you don't have that right. weight, that, uh, that momentum of the flywheel, it, it, it pulls the RPM down pretty strong. Yeah. So here's basically, here was my experiment. Mm-hmm. I put a light and flywheel on this motor, put it in my dad's bus. You get to an intersection, put on the brakes, you go to take off. You rev the engine up a little bit, right? Like you normally would to take off from a stop. Right. You let out the clutch and the thing falls on its face. Yeah. Right? Because there's no inertia yeah. to push that brick through the wind tunnel. No, for sure. So then what are you doing? You're giving it more gas, right? So I just found with a heavy flywheel, it just worked out way better. And a lot of people were doing were going with Lighten because they, they, they equated quarter mile right. speed with, with performance, but... You know, and so I'm interested because you know that I'm I'm a I love Type Fours. Yeah. Um, both my you know my my carbon cab and the Bull Run bus both have Type Fours. One's got a 2300, mm-hmm. one has one has a 2600. Right. Ha, have you ever messed with or experiment experiment with Type Fours? And what's your feeling about that? I have a I have a little bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some things that are fixable mm-hmm. that I don't like from the factory. Um, that put a sour taste in my mouth for those engines. Uh, one was the cam and lifter arrangement. I'm not a big fan of how they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one, my biggest pet peeve, and, and I get it because those are the, the 72 ish up was the, the worst laws for smog, especially here in Taxifornia. Right. <laughs> okay. So the big problem that I found was they had a big intake valve you know, like a 39-millimeter intake valve, and they had a 32-millimeter exhaust valve. Yeah. So now you're letting in all this gas, but you can't get rid of it. So the head builds up heat. Bingo, and where, what is the death nail to a Volkswagen engine? <laughs> right. Heat. Heat. Correct? Heat. And it softens that It softens that aluminum just enough to drop valve seats? Yeah, so here's what happened. 72 through 74, they had a sodium-filled two-piece valve. Valves got so hot. You know, they dropped, right? When they mm-hmm. dropped, that's not pretty, right? You end up with a lot of pistons in the bottom of the oil pan. So then in 76, they decided, well, hey, we can't increase the size of the exhaust valve and still make emissions because we got to reburn that exhaust. Right. Let's just make the stem on the valve bigger and plug the port up even more. <laughs> so wow. that's what they did. And now the heads got so hot, the seats fall out. Okay, so, and, you know, that's a common thing against with Type 4 guys, right? Oh, what happened to your stock engine? Oh, seats fell out. Yeah. Um, so my trick was always to leave the intake valve the same size, rip out the exhaust seat, put in a 35.5 exhaust valve with an 8-millimeter stem. Mm-hmm. Guess what? The, pl- the port's not plugged up. Hey, the head doesn't get so hot. So they run. And cool. they live. Yeah. Now, have you been? Now I know you build. You build a lot of motors personally. Yes. And do you build? You build Type Fours as well. I do, but I don't want to admit it. Right. Because so, they for what I charge versus, you know, what it takes. What me, it's worth. I don't want to do it. So, is it? Does a Type Four take you a lot longer to build than a Type One? Oh hell yes! Why? Because of all the machine work, you know. Oh, and just to there get isn't, it to live. It, from your Correct, perspective. to get it to live. And, and the problem is there isn't the availability of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I right. know a few okay, years so, a few years back there were there was no uh, no bearings, right? There's a big bearing correct. shortage on type and that, that and that's still true. Still? Yeah, I mean you try and get line bore bearings for a type four. Yeah. Plus the simple fact is this. If you if I go to a type one guy, mm-hmm. you know, and say, Hey, your engine's gonna cost thirty five hundred bucks, you know, and you get X for that, right? And then you tell a type four guy, you know, that's new to type four, hey, it's going to cost you five grand to build this engine bone stock. Uh, they're going to have a heart attack. Right. So, you know, when you start modifying, well, then that $5,000 bill went to 6000 to 7000 Sure. Right. And they're like, uh, 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 it's the, it's this the, isn't a Ferrari. Yeah. It's while you're in there. Why don't you, you know, why, right, why don't we, right. yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. So for you, as far as repeatability, available quality aftermarket parts for being able to rebuild it and update it at the same time, you, you prefer a type one from that standpoint? I do. And that's just me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I'm sure. not against type fours right. at all. I'm just not, I'm probably not the best guy on them. Yeah. And so... Now getting back into building motors. Now Wolfgang, do you have a you have a service shop there at Wolfgang as well? We do, but it's very limited, and we're always slammed. Like right now, I'm about three months behind. And you're real picky um, on who you work for. That's right. <laughs> we're extremely picky. It's like, you know, it's my way, or you can go do it your way someplace else. Sure, sure. Now, nah. you know, because I have to stand behind this stuff, right? Absolutely. No, it's, I mean, it's, it, it, there's, there's something it's, you know, my brother has a shop, my brother has the wagon and he's tried to hire people and, you know, he goes back and forth and and the struggle is like, can you find someone that will be able to replicate the quality workmanship that you're going to do? Or are you willing to pay someone to jeopardize your reputation by getting something out the door that's not quite up to snuff? And, Correct. you know, that struggle back and forth. And so in my brother's same case, he's just bare. I mean, I think he's a year out. He's doing restorations and he's over a year out just doing those just because he doesn't want to bring pe- he if he could find somebody that, you know, finding those people anymore that That's have tough. that have the grit, if you know what yeah. I'm talking about. I do know exactly what you're talking <laughs> about. And I won't restore cars. I, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm not a paint guy. I'm not a. I'm not an interior guy. If you right. want to talk about suspensions, engines, stuff like that, I'm your guy. But yeah. I'm, you know, so I don't want to do full restorations. I've done full restorations, mm-hmm. and man, every time I do, it turns around. You know, I can't finish it on time because I'm just too anal about things. Um, you know, and it ends up biting me. There's just, to me, there's just not. I, I I can't make a living doing it. Sure, sure. No, it's it's not something that's easily repeatable and every car has its own history and and it's all it's all fun and games until you send it to the blaster and then you realize like well you know are are you restoring this for sentimental value or you have an open checkbook for this car because people right uh, and and here's and here's the other side of the fence and everybody can appreciate this right so if a guy is bringing you a car to restore that means he probably either doesn't have the time to do it himself which mm -hmm. is rare or he doesn't know what he's doing right right okay so you get this car back from the paint shop, and you put a door, you hang a door on it, and let's say it takes you a half hour to hang that door, 
right? You stand back and a customer stands back and you look at the car and you go, wow, that looks cool, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, that took half an hour. So you bill for half an hour. You put the guts in a door, right? It's going to take you three hours and you close the door and it doesn't look like you did a damn thing. Yeah, there's no perceived value of what you're paying for because people envision in their head, they see that assembly line where pre-built units are getting slung in by happy Mm -hmm. German workers and these things are just getting thrown together and... Uh, you know, I think my brother was telling me he did a conver- some windows on a convertible, and he just said, he's like, some <laughs> some guy asked me how much to switch all his rubber, all his door rubber, and rebuild his doors and all that kind of stuff, and just go through and make everything new. <laughs> he says, I told him two doors, you're looking at, you know, you're probably talking 12 hours. And he's like, right. 12 hours? That's, you know, yeah, and you're talking. Yeah, it should take you 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's quite a bit. That's quite a bit of work, but. You know, it's it's how do you want it done, and it's the same. You know, in, in my day job, I'm I, you know I'm in the, I'm in the tile and granite business. That's how I pay my bills and feed my family. But it's like I go to clients' houses all the time where they said, "Yeah, you know, I, I did this room of laminate myself," and I say, "I can tell," and they right. say, "Well, how do you know?" I go, well, or sometimes I walk in a room and go, "So did you do this floor?" Like, "Yeah, how could you tell?" And I said, "Well, because there's some characteristics in this installation that are." not typical of a professional installation. It's this, this, and this. Oh, I never noticed that. And I said, yeah, it's no big deal. It looks great for you because you're a, you're an accountant, you're a this and you did that and it's great. Right. But you know, and it's for you, for your house, it's great. But you know, and, and, and I try to tell clients all the time because like you in your business, everybody that brings your car, like, well, you know, I used to work on my own car and I just don't have the time. So yeah. I'd like you to do it. And, and there's a different level of quality that the guy will do for his own car after he's, exhausted every possible option and he's doing trying to replace the alternator for the fourth time and he's just like i don't care at this point it goes in it's greasy it's dirty it's whatever but he did it and he feels accomplished versus what he expects you to do it and how he expects you to do it and you know sometimes they think well because i can do it you know it shouldn't be so expensive but the reality is it costs what it costs and it's getting more expensive i think as years go on because there are fewer people that are able to do this stuff you're absolutely right, and and here's the here's the other thing too. I don't know how how much I can use a foul language on this <laughs> podcast. Well, I can I, I can I can censor a little, but you know, no big deal. Okay, so I mean, here's here's you know, I would say a third of what comes through. Right, mm-hmm. guys worked on it so much that he can't thoroughly screw it up anymore. Right, and yeah. he already has, and then brings it to us. Right, yeah, and then we spend literally half the hours that we're charging on this thing doing the unhook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reverse reversing everything that they've done. And right. uh, yeah, it's uh I mean it's And the saddest part is it would it took them more time to screw it up than yeah. if they would have just fixed it right in the first place. Yeah, and and it, and it, and a lot of that has has to do with the repetition, the experience, the time, effort, yes. energy you've spent throughout the years and really a lot of people don't understand that that's part of what they're paying for they're paying for yes. the knowledge that you have the experience that you have and the the lack of time wasted putting you know they take it to you know the the average mechanic who's not familiar with doing something that guy just throw a number out there fix it and then when the same thing happens again, he goes eh, you know i don't know i tried whatever you know <laughs> right. bring, bring it back i'll give it another crack and we'll see what we can figure out but you know the reality is paying for someone that has that experience is 
it's miles ahead of the newest hippest thing, you know, that comes right. out. And in my, in my book, I don't mind spending money. Okay. I just hate doing it twice. Right. And I think on the consumer standpoint, there's also the, the aspect of they want value for their money. And sometimes correct in the business, like yours and mine, because we both provide a service for people. There, there's a time when you set an expectation, listen, Yes. My, you know, we're, I'm going to do X amount of work to your car and it's going to be time consuming. And when you, we're going to be done visibly, there'll be nothing that you'll see that's going to be different. But driving right. your car, reliability, those types of things are going to make a, a substantial yep. difference. And so it's part it's part of that that process now. Um, now, yes. get, now, now, getting back to your engine building, long term. Uh, mm-hmm. motor reliability um, with the drag racing aspect. Let's talk about that a little bit because you, you hold, you, you've set a few records in your time in the VW thing. Yes. And how do you make the transition from street bug, like fun 11 second street bug. And then now you just step right over <laughs> to a rail. Is that what you do next? Okay. I'll, t- I'll tell you how that happened. So sure. I had a street car, 2110, mm-hmm. um, you know, 45 miles an hour for me in fourth gear was 4,500 RPMs. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go out of town. Um, got in a lot of trouble with it. Um, you know, uh, let's just say me and most of RPD were on first name basis. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Um, so then I decided, you know what? The, 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 I can't do this anymore. And so I put all, I put my engine and training in a regular drag bug, you know, and I went out to the drag strip and I really enjoyed it. Um, I had done some roundy round racing prior to that. Um, a bunch of us got together, built, you know, four cars. And by the end of the year doing circle track, we'd all punched each other. Right. Uh, when I went to the drag strip at the end of the day, you know, whether I won or lost, you know, the guy's shaking my hand, he's loaning me parts, vice versa, right? I just had a really good time doing it. So then, as I was learning suspension and how to make my engine faster, the car got kitey. And what I mean by that is, you know, on a fiberglass one-piece front end, mm-hmm. we didn't know anything about moving the torsion housings up back then. Mm-hmm. And in fourth gear, the thing felt like it wanted to fly, you know, the front end was getting real light. Little, real light. And I'm like, you know what? Nobody loves my ass more than I do. I'm out. I'm not going to do this anymore. So I sold the car and I decided, you know what? I'm going to build a dragster. You know, that's that'll be cool. And those are long and I won't have this problem. Yeah. So I, I started building a dragster. And, then, and I was helping other guys with their cars at the time. But I started building this dragster and then I got married. And that was kind of the end of that. Um, <laughs> then I got divorced and got my dragster back. <laughs> so then I, uh, it was a good trade. Um, yeah. I, uh, I uh, you know, put a twin turbo, you know, big, basically a Potter big block in it. And I, and I'll be honest, I didn't quite know what I was doing. Well, that's a big, uh, I mean, it's a big step and it's completely different driving characteristics, uh, isn't it? Oh my God. Yes. So, and I was not familiar enough with turbochargers. Mm-hmm. I was not familiar with mechanical injection. So I basically, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was taking baby steps. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, I finished the car and I basically spent four years of the world's most expensive 11 second dragster. <laughs> okay. Cause I just didn't know what I was doing. Sure. Um, and again, but I, you know, I was open and, you know, learning. And, uh, so from there, let's see, I went, I met a guy that still helps me to the stage, Gene Adams, mm-hmm. who's an NHRA hall of famer. Um, that wanted nothing to do with Volkswagens. He's a Chrysler guy, but I befriended him and he helped me and it wasn't long and we were running eight fifties right off the bat. Wow. Okay. So then from there, um, again, he's, he's an early Hemi guy. He, I had my engine apart and he, he took one look at my heads and went, wow, these things outflow our a fuel Hemi heads. And I said, okay. And he goes, you know, we should try nitromethane. And I said, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, no. <laughs> now explain and, to uh, some of our listeners that aren't hip to drag racing. What, what is, when you switch from gasoline to nitromethane, there's pretty substantial risks you take. Yeah. It's a good way to empty your wallet in a hurry. Right. Okay. Um, so I had never played with it. And, you know, I heard about it. Everybody's heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gene says to me, basically, you know, and through a guy named Danny anyway, um, why don't you come out to the track with our car, right? I said, okay. Um, so I started going to the Heritage Series racing with them. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is a front engine injected early Hemi nitro dragster run. And in those days it ran 620s. So, um, I started hanging out with them and I learned, man, did I learn a lot? That was the first V8 I've ever touched. And it didn't take them long to put me up on the motor. Really? Um, to this day, I'm responsible for the whole top of that engine. And I do a lot of stuff on the car. So Gene talked me into going to nitro and I saw injected nitro has some, um, what do you, what's the word? Fruition. Yeah. Okay. It, you know, are you going to hurt parts? Yes. Are you going to hurt parts every pass? No. Okay. Gene explained to me that blown nitro, top fuel guys, mm-hmm. uh, blown nitro is a bomb. You just got to get to the other end for the fuse goes off. <laughs> that's, <Okay. laughs> that's comforting. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we went to injected nitro in the rear engine car. And to this day, we have yet to get it completely dialed. Um, and, and I've had Gene's help. I've had other crew chiefs from like Gene Snow and some of the other old timers, uh-huh. um, helping me. And they're not a hundred percent sure why we keep putting out pipes either. Hmm. Um, and then I went from a rear engine car to the car that most people know me now in is the front engine car. Right. Um, and for me, uh, it's a lot more enjoyable to drive when you sit behind the rear tires like that. Really? Um, any, any time the car makes a move, you're on top of it. Okay. Cause you're sitting on it. Right. Sure. Where with a rear engine car, the tires are behind you and the ass end can actually make a move before you're catching up with it. There's a lag time when it makes a move versus what you do to the steering wheel. Right. Well, with a front engine, you're already on top of it. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. 
That's, I mean, that's, that's gotta be, I mean, driving a rail is totally different than you, you have to figure that out. And then switching from <clears throat> switching from front engine, you know, or, or front of motor to back of motor. I mean, Correct. Sitting... I went from, I went from a bug to a dragster rear engine and then from a dragster rear engine to a front engine. Yeah. And, and I mean, these are like the old nostalgia drags, like the old super yep. old school slingshot. slingshot deals. And so, um, and this is running nitro methane and it's injected or it's carbureted injected. And what type of injection setup do you run on it? Mechanical Hillborn injection. Oh really? And mm-hmm. the Hillborn setup is not something that you fine tune. It's like, they're like, it's like the 48 IDAs of, of injection. Not- it looks. It's just. It looks like like forty eights, but basically, it's all it is is a butterfly. No, but what I mean is, from the standpoint of there's no progression circuitry. It's like idle and wide open. Oh no, type. no. <laughs> it's like no. It's like a toilet. It's, it's either on or off. It's like it's like feeding fuel into your car with a fire hose. <laughs> yes, and 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 with that said, okay, my alcohol twin turbo alcohol car would burn a. About three quarters of a gallon a pass to mm-hmm. run in the you know seven sixties. Right. This my nitro car burns three and a half gallons a pass. Wow. At thirty three dollars a gallon, and we have to change nine quarts of oil every time. Every pass. Yes. Now, why do you have to change the oil? Is it, is it, does the nitro get past? Because the rings? it gets so diluted. Right. Really? There's nitro in it, and not that it still um, doesn't have you know, lubrication properties, but the fact that it's in there, if I was to hurt a piston and the flame got down in the crankcase, it ignite, it would go kaboom. And being in front of me, I'd be the first to know. Oh, wow. That's intense. And so it, it is now does the nitro running the nitro methane, it, it's like, it's, it's cooler than running alcohol. It's different than running alcohol. I'm not going to say it's cooler. It's actually hotter, but it's harder than hell to light. For instance, you're familiar with timing. Most people are familiar with timing on a gasoline motor. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll run, you know, 28, 32 degrees advance, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. On alcohol, same kind of thing, maybe even a little higher. Mm-hmm. Nitromethane, I run 65 degrees is conservative. Wow. Right, so starting it's a bitch because it wants to go backwards. That's crazy. It is, and to tell you how hard it is to light, if we took a bottle cap uh-huh. and we set it on the on the bench there and lit it, it would kind of light. Maybe once you got it lit, if you could get it lit, more than likely it's going to put the match out. But if you did get it lit, it just kind of burns like a candle. Really? Yeah. Do not try this at home. <laughs> well yeah and so now, and so why did the so what's so is it the btu rating is the reason that they use the nitromethane absolutely or? not so here's the ticket okay if you were to hit that bottle cap with a hammer uh-huh you would lose the end of the hammer so it's it's it it's, loves compression so it's almost so why, like a diesel bingo so why is it so good why does it make so much power with Air, excuse me, with gasoline, right, you need 14 parts of air to every one part of gasoline. Mm-hmm. So take take your gallon jug, okay, or your cup, and put, you have to put 14 parts of air in it. So that doesn't leave much room for gasoline, does it? Right. Okay. So let's do alcohol. 
alcohol seven to one. So, hey, we can make more power with alcohol because we can get twice as much in it. So why do blowers work so well? Well, because now we're going to compress the air where it takes up less room in that chamber so we can get more fuel in there. Right. Okay. Nitromethane. If there was a ratio, and there really isn't, it'd be around three, maybe two to one. Wow. Why? Because it brings its own oxygen to the game. Inside the fuel? Correct. So we can get a lot of it in there with very little air compared to other fuels. So it has a bigger kaboom. And it gets, yeah, and, it, and it's all about the bang. It's all about the intensity it's of the bang. It's all about the bang. And so what's that car, right? And what records have you set in that car? The front engine car, the best I've done, is 725 at 181 miles an hour. Now, Naturally that, aspirated. And what class is that in? You should know better. I have no class. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, it's uh, what they call B dragster, which is basically naturally aspirated dragster, which and, means no blowers. And is that is that a record in that class? It is. Still standing? It is. And then the rear, the the front engine car, is that that's the rear engine car? That's the front engine car. That's the front we engine car. We set the record way back when, and I've never really... Uh, you know, I reset it to 725, but I don't know if anybody ever recorded it. And so, I mean, that's and when's how often are you running that car? Do you still run that car? Um, when I can afford it. Um, I mean, you're talking <laughs> usually, a, a trip to the racetracks and it costs you a grand. It does, yeah. and it's two hundred dollars a pass if nothing goes wrong. Wow. Yes. Speed costs money. So, yeah, I you know I I'm not married. I I don't have any kids. <laughs> Um, I don't drink and I don't do drugs. So I think any of those would be cheaper. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's crazy. Yes. So now with the current, uh, the current, I don't want to say the current status of what's going on in the, in the world today. Yes. Have you seen, uh, I've talked to a few people out there that have shops and they've all seen these upticks in people bringing in their projects and people now they're spending more time at home are kind of digging into their projects a little bit more and, and they are getting things going. Are you noticing the same thing? We are, we are. And you know, um, it, yes. And, um, you know, guess what? There's a stimulus check out there now, right? Yeah. People have money, you know? And the other thing I think people are starting to realize is, you know what? I got this, this, you know, Chevy Corvette and I'm still making payments on the goddamn thing. Mm -hmm. And now I don't have a job. Maybe I should get rid of this Chevy Corvette that's losing money every year mm -hmm. and get this old bug out of the garage that I can work on and that's not losing money every year and get out from underneath these payments. Yeah. So I'm seeing a lot of that. Um, you know, and the buses are always, you know, unfortunately now the split windows have come up so high in price, the average person can't afford one. Right. Um, but you know, there's, uh, there's also a group that are like, Hey, this is better than my 401k. Sure. There's so a lot we of, have, yeah, a lot of investors, a lot of people buying Volkswagens for investments. Mm-hmm. I have one customer, older customer, retired, 
him and his wife. The name of their bus is Ira. <laughs> As an Ira account. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. No, that's, you know, with, with it, as you look back over the last 20, 20 some years that I've been in the VWC and I'm 47, I've been involved in the VWC for 25 years and mm-hmm. uh, maybe actually a little longer than that. And <clears throat> it's interesting to see the evolution of the bus go from the redheaded stepchild of the, of the cool scene right. and, and, and the, the tagged hippie mobile to now evolved into like, unless you, unless you have one of these, you're not cool type thing, right? you know? And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's always been interesting because I've had, you know, I've had my bus 20 years and, you know, even mm-hmm. my, before then all my Volkswagens were, were Beatles and maybe a Ghia here and there or something like that. And then I had a single cab, I mean, years before that. And it was, people were just like, they made so many of them and yet you would drive it and you'd think it's super rare. But now, you know, even back then, I mean, when I found my bus, finding a 13 window deluxe was like, holy cow, this is a deluxe. Can you believe it? And now it's like mm-hmm. everywhere you go, it's 21, 23 windows and all these things out there. And, and now all the super rare stuff's coming out and all these super old buses are here. And, and yep. it's great to see that happening to the hobby. It's wonderful to see, you know, I think if 20 years ago, somebody said, Hey, 20 years from now, there'll be twice as many buses on the road than there is today. Uh, you might, you know what? You might be right. You know, and, you know, and I personally own 10 cars Yeah, <laughs> from mild to wild. I mean, my oldest one is a 1950 bug. Uh-huh. I also have a 52 single cab. Oh, wow. Um, I have a Baja bug. I have a single seater race car. I have my two drag cars. Um, I have bone stock, you know, bugs. I have a Carmen Ghia. Um, probably my favorite car. I have a 5723 window with semaphores factory that out of all the cars I own, that's my favorite car. Stalker or is it modded? It's modded. <laughs> love it. Of course. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, uh, and so right now, normally this is when we'd be having Bugarama coming up and you'd probably, that's yep. probably one of your, is that one of your first events that you head to is bug rammer? Do you, do you, yeah, with the race car? Yeah. Yeah. And that's obviously now with the new California stay at home orders. Now the interesting part is that affecting you guys up there, but you're, you're still an essential business, right? I'm essential business. And, um, I don't always agree with our governor, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're a bad boy to the core. I like it. Just a rebellious bus guy. I just, I just, I don't know. Um, I came, I'm working a lot. Um, you know, just, I just, I, I'm not going to stop. I mean, it's just, it's what I know and I know well, and that's it. And you, I mean, you have to enjoy what you do if you've been doing it this long. I mean, I do. And I'll, and I'll tell you what it is more than anything. Am I doing it for the money? Hell no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, when you do something right, um, you know, we, uh, we've helped that older couple I told you about with the IRA bus uh-huh. and they drove the thing across country. Right. Yeah. Um, I did another one for some people in, uh, they come from Argentina. We built them a, motor i helped them with their bus they're pulling a puck trailer they literally drove it from here to florida put it on a boat now they're back in argentina they're driving the piss out of this thing 
when they call you or write you a personal letter and say, thank you, this is the best thing ever, money can't buy that. Yeah. You know, and I could go to their country and they would put me up hands down, you know, the, the friendships, the relationships that you develop, that's priceless. Yeah, I think that's that's the part of <clears throat> that's part of the uh the allure to the hobby, I think. Once you're finally once you know, in this hobby, it, you get jumped in quick, right? You buy mm-hmm. a bug, you think I'm going to live relive my high school days. <laughs> then you find yourself, you know, 35, 40 years old on the side of the road <laughs> trying to fix this thing, you're getting frustrated and you're either going to stick with it or get out. And I see that happen right. a lot, right? A lot of people trying to yeah. relive their youth and I'm like yeah, maybe you're more of a you know maybe you're more of a turnkey mini truck guy. Some something like an import <laughs> that you're just not gonna have to mess with because if you buy a Volkswagen, Go back small block Chevy. Yeah, you're gonna need to get underneath the hood quite a bit. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna it's gonna require some maintenance. But once you get past that point, the camaraderie in the scene is it's it's unreal. No, it's unparalleled because you know especially you look at just me. I'm an average enthusiast and I've been committed to the to the scene for over 25 years and it's just because I love it. You know, I love, mm-hmm. I love, uh, it, it started out with loving the aspect of being able to build something yourself. And yes, then correct. And then from there it evolves into like, okay, well I've, I've crossed that bridge and now I want a different model. I want a different type. I want a different, and, and, and it's so funny because there's this snapshot of time from the fifties to the, early seventies where all these cars were built and we're looking at all the, you know, we, we go to this virtual deal, dealership showroom and we're like, I'm going to rebuild that car, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. it starts the process. And it, I tell you, it gets a little bit of a bummer when well, like I, I go to Octo and things like this and I haven't been building a car for a while. I've had a car, I've had my split window in the shop for a little bit getting painted, buddy hell's painting it and some stuff like that and putting it all together and when you're not looking for anything, it kind of makes the swabbies kind of like, you know, now I just, now I find, I find myself buying the most ridiculous things at the swap meet because I'm like, right. oh, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, how much is that? <laughs> oh, that's worth money. Shoot, I'll buy it. I don't need it. I'll buy it, put it in my display case at home. But it's, it's the process of the thrill of the hunt, reassembling that puzzle that's been taken oh, apart yeah. for a million years. You will love this. So, um, you know, I write for Hobby W. Yeah, right? absolutely. I've read your articles. Okay. Great work, okay, so by the way. Pardon me? Great work, by the way. Thank you. Um, so the new, I don't know when it's going to come up, um, but I just wrote something that that you everybody's going to just probably be rolling on the floor laughing about our own disease, the Volkswagen <laughs> disease. Right. <laughs> and it's called, what did I call it? Old CVW 16. Yeah. Old classic Volkswagen 1600. And it just goes through it all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> okay. you know, it, it becomes this one of the things I, I did a podcast earlier about things to look for and, and some stuff to do during, like if you're looking for cars or hunting for cars, how to spot cars mm-hmm. and some things like that. And I said, the wonderful thing about Volkswagens, when you find an old Volkswagen in someone's yard, there's, there's usually more than one. Yes, correct. <laughs> because even if you're the <laughs> casual partaker of the VW, you just finally get to the point where you buy another one either for parts or 
or for the, your next future project. Right. But, you know, especially here in the in the in these desert towns that I drive through, you know, from here to Reno, there's there's 20 little uh, outlaw hideout towns between here and there. And you'll mm-hmm. drive by and, you know, I found my bus in Goldfield, Nevada. And, you know, going through there, there's, you know, one of these over here and I found an early square back over there. And, you know, all these things that are just hidden, but usually there's always a couple and they're bundled together. And they, they probably took my bus and, and, and took my bus to Goldfield to take the motor out for a Baja, you know, and there's so many of these things that are littered throughout the, uh, the, the West coast. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, throughout the country really. And, and it's just such a great, you know, I think every, it's the thrill of the hunt for me. Mm-hmm. Especially when you hear about, hey, hey, I heard that there's this, you know, there's a there's a single cab over here in this small town over there, and maybe it might be for sale. And you know, part of the process of finding it. I mean, I, I've often fantasized. VW has an ad that I have here in my garage, and it says the the VW station wagon, which is they're referring to the bus, is so large mm-hmm. an entire town can fit inside it. And then it talks about the, right. it talks about the town of Jigs, Nevada, and it's this right. little tiny town. It's got like six people in it and a dog. And I thought, wow, man, I'd, I I sure love to drive to Jigs, Nevada, and see if that bus is there. And it was probably more of a promo ad. But I mean, <laughs> right. how, how cool would it be to go there and find a sixty five, you know, sixty five twenty one window bus sitting there that was right. in the VW ad? But it's like, you know, there's. All these hidden gems. Just recently, a friend of mine, my my friend Scott Wyatt, was at a he's at a Cars and Coffee here in town. Some guy comes up to him like they always do, and we're at a car show, and they come up to us and go, "Oh yeah, my brother's got one of these, or my cousin has one." And mm-hmm. sure enough, the, the 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 thing tracked out to a uh, a Lotus White over White sixty seven twenty one window that was sitting somewhere near Palm Springs up in the mountains. And he, the guy came to him, talked to him about it, and oh, you know, the next weekend he's driving out to Palm Springs and dragging this thing out of out of the nowhere. So they're still right. they're, they're still out there, you know. Right. Which and what's funny though is, but we on the West Coast kind of take it for granted. Oh, okay? we're spoiled. Yeah, we are because <laughs> I went to the East Coast to a to a family reunion, mm-hmm. and one of my cousins says, you know, I, I hadn't seen and she's I don't know. 30 plus years um, said, Hey Steve, uh, your dad says you got a bunch of antique cars. And I said, well, you know, they're not, they're not antiques really to me. They're kind of, kind of vintage. And he goes, well, what do you got? I go, got some time. <laughs> <laughs> so I started listing them off and he goes, Oh man, that's cool. He goes, I got an antique car. I go, yeah. What do you got? He goes, a 74 sob. And I didn't have the heart to tell him that's not an antique. That's just a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, you know, we, I, I, we're doing a for Let's Talk Dubs. We're building a '67 garage built car, like something the average listener would build in his garage. Yeah. And so what I did, and we're going to give it away next year. It's going to be from let for you know through the podcast. We're going to make some videos, some how to videos on how to do some stuff for your basic enthusiast because as I'm on the internet, I see there's some super low quality videos done and I figured people mm-hmm. could benefit from some decent quality videos. Yes. And so I start the hunt in January. Um, by March, I get a phone call. There's a 63 and a 67 that I end up negotiating a deal on from a used car dealer sitting on his back lot. 
and the mm-hmm. 67 that we find the, the, the 63 I end up uh, I got a guy's got dibs on it before I even get there and and so I sell it to him and then you know George and I my brother we grab the 67 it's an original Vegas bug it is it hasn't been smacked too hard in the front just barely tapped in the front but it's your typical nice. it, it has the still the horsehair smell on the inside but it's mm-hmm. the, the thing I was saying when I, I did a tear we've got a tear down video on YouTube for it on our let's talk Dubs YouTube channel this thing is so stinking clean it maybe needs a pan section under the battery like maybe nice and it's like I w- that's what I was telling you to say on the video I said you know we're pretty spoiled out here on the west coast because you know we see like a little bit of rot down in the lower you know in the yeah in the we're like uh, no like ah it looks like it's somewhere on the heater channel I don't even want to mess with that <laughs> this thing's full of rust and yeah. we get so spoiled out here because these cars have been so well preserved from the 60s on and and in these dry climates that right. you know you go you go to these other places and you watch you know you look at the stuff these guys are building up in Canada and in the Netherlands and they're and they, you know, they're starting off of a B pillar and, and a roof section they're recreating the entire bus from there yeah and uh, I I think it's been I'm up in the office it, you know we're hugely we're hugely spoiled over here so um, there's yeah. there's still I think there's still lots of good stuff out there but so I wanted to get back real quick to you in regards to the some of the new stuff that you're coming out with. Now, I also wanted to remind everybody that you do you do, do articles for Hot VWs and we need to support yep. Hot VWs magazine cuz it's one it's our it's stateside magazine that almost died not too long ago, so it's Right. I think it's beneficial that we keep that going by subscribing and and you know everybody making sure we keep the magazine for our hobby around. Right. But um I noticed that you've the one of the recent things that I saw that you came out with was the the nightstick short shifter. Now there's a yes. lot of shifters on the market. There were a lot yep. of shifters already. Why did you build the nightstick? Uh, funny, funny story with that one. Um, so I, one of, one of the guys I helped with, I built an engine for him and helped him with his training. He's like, Hey man, we want you to drive this thing. And I'm like, you know, I've been in dragsters now. I, I kind of really don't want to drive anything with doors. Right. And, uh, <laughs> You know, um, I haven't been in a door slammer in quite some time. He goes, oh, drive it, drive it. I'm like, all right. So um, it had pro rings in it, and it had a um, bug pack, um, you know, basically billet shifter there, top-of-the-line shifter in it. Mm-hmm. And what I found was I was working the clutch and banging the gears. I couldn't I couldn't shift it fast as, as I felt that it needed to be shifted. Right. You know, and it was, you know, it was about four inches, you know, four or five inches to go from first to second. And to me, that just took too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my, one of my V8 friends here, you know, who, um, I helped, you know, him and this other guy, VW guy built this drag car. And, you know, again, that's how I got in it. Mm-hmm. He's like, Hey man, um, try this shifter I made. And I'm like, Boy, that looks pretty funky. Right. And it was all made out of steel. And uh, so I sat it underneath the counter for, I don't know, two, three months. And finally, um, I told one of one of my other drag race customers, I said, here, a young kid, I said, put this in your car and just try it. He goes, I don't want to try that thing. I said, just try it. You know, if you don't like it, give it back. So he goes home, puts it in his car, and he's like, man, this thing is awesome. I go, well, take it to the track. So he does. 
And he, then I couldn't get it back. <laughs> and then I finally went, hey, give me that thing back. So I made some refinements to it and, you know, tried it and went, wow, what a flipping difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I can bang these gears like crazy. I don't even have to use the clutch, you know, with pro rings. This is the way to go. Really? Um, and when we decided to make them and make a run, you know, we had all the sticks, right? And, you know, one of my favorite colors is black. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, here, you know, everybody's standing around going, what are we going to name this thing? And I had to stick in my hand and I was kind of banging my palm with it. <laughs> and I went, fuck, this looks like a nightstick to me. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, well, I mean, it looks exactly like a nightstick, which a lot of people don't. Maybe the younger generation doesn't know what a nightstick is anymore because the cops, I don't even know if they still have them. But, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it looks identical to a nightstick. Yeah, so that's how I came up with it. And, then, and we have, we're refining it again. So we're, you know, we've got that version, and now we're coming up with a version that's got uh, stops on it for guys that, you know, you know, want stops. And we've got a positive lockout for reverse. Um, one complaint I've gotten from a few people, I've sold 50 of them already. Mm-hmm. Um, I got two complaints. Guys are saying it's too short. Well, that's the purpose. The throw's too short. So the the we're going to call it the pro nightstick, basically. Right. Has three three holes in it, basically, and you can adjust it for forty percent, fifty percent, sixty percent. And right now, you've got it. At, it's at sixty percent. Sixty. Yeah, and the typical scat was a thirty percent throw, right back yeah. in the day, like the scat and the bergs and all that stuff, and. Really, I mean, I guess if you're if you're a drag race and you're trying to to shift that thing as quick as possible, you want the minimum amount of throw that because seconds bingo. count. Correct. Well, that's pretty. I mean, it, it looks pretty impressive. And just so people are clear, this the nightstick is speci- is more set for drag it, racing. It's more set for drag racing. It is not that comfortable unless you're 22 years old to be shifting <laughs> that thing. It's made for rowing gears. Right. Right, you know, and then getting new, finding neutral can be a bitch because it's only an inch and a half a throw between first and second. Right, you know. So there's that. The other thing we just finished was some billet valve covers. Oh, okay. Um, there's a lot. Of, there's a, you know, a few other companies that make them. Uh-huh. I just kind of put my twist, you know, on mine. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say they're better than everybody else's. They're not. Um, you know, I just did my own. You and wanted your, uh, a personal brand for yours. I did. And there yeah. was, you know, I wanted a thicker O-ring. I built the fitting right into the valve cover for the breather. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they're nice in the fact that you can take them on and off a lot without changing the gasket. The yeah. gasket itself, the O-ring is common O-ring stock. It's not some, some special stuff made. you can't find, right. you know. <clears throat> and that's and, and the so the reason you went with an O-ring just to be clear is the O-ring allows you to take your valve covers on and off quite a bit versus using right. And the again it, it comes from my racing, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, uh when you race those valves need to be adjusted every morning basically. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, we're going racing Saturday, get to the track, adjust the valves, we race all day. Next morning, 
take the covers off, adjust the valve. Now, um, switching gears a little bit to get back to a little bit of suspension, what's your take on some of these air suspensions that are out right now? What's your personal take on those Okay, things? here's – all right. Um, keep in mind I'm old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I'm not an airbag guy. Um, I'm not against it. I just don't have a lot of experience with it. Mm-hmm. My The few people that I know that have put it on – um, I've had problems, uh, you know, lines breaking, uh, not dividing all of the air system up. So in other words, you go around a corner, the air from this bag now bleeds into the air of the opposing bag, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it, 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 but, you know, I see the guys going up and down with them at the shows. And, I mean, the theory there is really cool. Hey, I can actually get over a speed bump by right. jacking the thing up, you know. And when I get to the show, I can put the bumper on the ground. So um, I just don't have any experience with it. So I'm not going to sit here and say I'm against it. Sure, I'm not going to sure. sit here and say I'm for it. And then your, what's your take on some of these guys that are doing the motor swaps now to doing like Subaru motors and things like that? Have you done it? What's your, what's your take on that? Uh, good. That's another great question. Um, you know, I'm a diehard, so of course I'm going to lean towards the air-cooled. Uh-huh. Um, I, but I see a lot of guys with sand rails, especially off-road cars, doing the Subaru swap. I think it's, you know, hey, I'm a bang for the buck. Right. Yeah. You can get a lot more horsepower out of a Subaru engine, especially with a hair dryer on it, um, than I can get you with an air cooled engine, sure. and it's going to be a lot less money. Um, but you know, I, my, I'm I'm a kiss kind of guy. Keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, to me, the water has a place, but not in my engine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and. You know, I like things simple. I want, you know, I don't like, I'm not a big EFI guy because I'm not a computer guy, you know. Sure. Um, I want things if I'm out, you know, one of the nice things about a Volkswagen is you get out on the freeway, something goes wrong, right? You can normally fix it and get home. With all this electronic stuff, when it goes bad, it's all about a tow truck. You're right. You know, so I, I keep it simple. No, I mean, it, l- listen, you, you've been around for a while. You've contributed a ton to the VW scene. I mean, uh, the bus guys can't thank you enough because without without the evolution of seeing a lowered bus, there's probably a lot of a lot of this that would not have evolved out there because I think people seeing a bus that's cool, a bus with some attitude, and anytime you change, you know, the altitude, you change the attitude quite a bit. Right. You know? Yep. And I think that's, you know, and I appreciate what you've done for that. And, and, and I'm glad we got on, we got to get on here and we're able to hear your story of how it all started and came together and, and where it all comes from and, and give you the credit that's due to you for the innovation that you've brought into the VW scene. So, I mean, well, I, I appreciate that. I, I got to tell you, Steve, I'm thankful for that because it's what made buses cool to me. And then and now, yeah. you know, and, and I've had my bus and, and my kids and my family's enjoyed my bus for a long time. And I got to be cool and have a family cruiser, you know. Right. So. Uh, w- and again, the relationship that we've built, you know, I remember you down at the shows and stuff and looking at your stuff. Oh, yeah. 
money don't buy that. that well, that's it, man. And it's, and it's one of these things where you've been you've been contributing a lot to the VW scene, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the podcast because this podcast is all about you know documenting the history, talking to the guys that were there, the guys that did it, the guys that are doing it now, and right. uh, you know. Uh, any, anything else before we wrap up? I know you're busy and everybody's, everybody's been trying to get you while we've been uh, sitting here yakking it up, but, uh, any, anybody you'd like to, to thank that's helped you out along the way that's been there for you throughout this time Um, in the VWC? You know, I'm very fortunate, you know, uh, in my learning now, you know, Gene Adams, of course, um, you know, I, he's 85 years old. I'm learning a ton from him, uh, you know, about mechanical injection. Um, but in the, as far as Volkswagen stuff go, I mean, there's all the guys, you know, I used to look up to them that, you know, the Gene Bergs, the Ron Flemings, you know, all of those guys, uh, you know, I looked up to them myself and tried, you know, tried hard and experimented to, to make a name for myself. Um, I don't know if I'm of their caliber yet, but, uh, you know, I certainly try hard. <laughs> well, you're first. You listen, you're for sure one of the staples in, in the VW community. And like I said, the contributions that you've done, uh, you know, they, they've they've launched the evolution of the scene into another direction. Now, one of the things I was I was trying to research. All right, I'm not going to lie; I haven't done a ton of research, but I was thinking <laughs> one of the things I want to start to look for is one of the next things that kicked the evolution into our scene was the narrowed beam. And I'm trying to figure out who was the first one to bring a narrowed beam on to the street you know and i know that there were a bunch of those. Um, that was in a bug and i and it was one of the drag race guys and the reason they did it was to get more fender clearance when they lowered them so much right and so the drag and i know that it comes from a drag racing background because then even guys would get those jt aluminum beams you know what i mean and right. they just chop those things and put them in there and get them super narrow but uh, i've been trying to place where we're seeing the first narrowed beam because the narrowed beam was a game changer beyond comprehension. Right. And the craziest part of the narrowed beam changing the game so much is it's such a simple concept. Right. You know, and for years we struggled with trying to get a good sized tire into the front fender without sticking out like a dune buggy or having it rub on the fender edge. And, you know, even so much so that it created a whole life for fiberglass fender companies that made wider fiberglass fenders and all this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that we'll, we'll be getting the bottom of on, uh, on on Let's Talk Dubs. But, Steve, I can't thank you enough, man, for coming on the podcast. And for sure, I, sure. I look forward to seeing you at the next show that we can meet at. And, and, yeah. if, and, you know, I don't know if you've heard about our event we're putting on here in Vegas, but there's a big drag weekend coming on here in on the 18th of October. And Correct. I, I'm planning on coming to that. Well, and we're going to be doing uh, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday pre-event here in Vegas at one of the hotel casinos here. So, um, okay. Hopefully, we'll see you down here for that, man. And uh, yeah, hell yeah, for sure. It's been great having you on the podcast, and I look forward to doing this in the future. If you got anything new or you any any time you want to come on the podcast, man, give me a jingle, and we'll have you on for sure. Okay, buddy. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Steve. Okay, take care. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you share it with your friends, review us, and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Also, to support the podcast, go to letstalkdubs.com and look at ways to support your favorite podcast. Also, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram so you can get the insight on upcoming content. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you get notifications every time they come up and check us out on YouTube at Let's Talk Dubs. 
So until next week, guys, later. Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have.